Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. What's up, Whovians? Welcome back to Doctor Who A to Z. My name is Alan. And I'm uh, Josh, I guess, just like I always am. Just like always. And this week we are being joined by a very good friend of ours, Ashley Rayburn. Hey guys, how's it going? What's up, Ashley? Well, well, well. <laughs> Look who just couldn't. Let me enjoy myself. What are you, you, you jealous? I got a new partner. You got to come in and horn in on my territory here, Ashley. Just I, I couldn't just heard, wait to get in here, could you? I heard you were cheating on me. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so in case someone isn't aware there's a little history here these two used to do a podcast called the oncoming storm how long did that podcast go six years six years, six yeah. years. Yeah. man that's crazy ashley runs an event an annual recurring event called cleveland geekster ashley tell us a little bit about that yeah cleveland geekster is a uh, toy and comic book show in cleveland tennessee um, and it's, uh, it's like, like Alan said, it's an annual event and we have uh, a little bit of everything. We have uh, about 70 tables worth of toys and pop culture stuff and, um, uh, comic books. Like I said, uh, just anything you can think of, uh, it's, it's there and it is, uh, it's always a great time. And that is in September. Um, we're still kind of ironing out some details, but it, uh, this will be our 10th year and we are excited to bring it back for that 10th year. Awesome. Where can people find more information about that? Yeah, you can go to clevelandgeekster.com uh, or you can go to, uh, uh, you can find us on Facebook, which is where we put all of our information. That's uh, Facebook and uh, the different social medias. That's the one that we use the most, though. Uh, and we, you can find, uh, just look up Cleveland Geekster and we put all the information, all the upcoming uh, items, uh, any any information about vendors if you want to vend. Um, and, and we have, we have, we have, uh, vendors from all, all over the Southeast. We've had people, uh, from, uh, for, we're in East Tennessee. We've had people from Memphis. We get people from Atlanta all the time. I think we've had a vendor from Florida come up. We have vendors from all over the place, uh, the Southeast, uh, United mm -hmm. States that come out to it. Yep. I've been up a couple of times myself and it's a fun event. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this week we are going to be jumping into the Matt Smith era, and we're going to Series 7, specifically Series 7B, because this year was split into two halves. So this is Cold War. This was written by Mark Gatiss. It was directed by Douglas McKinnon. It stars Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor and Jenna Coleman as Clara. And it was first broadcast on April 13th, 2013 to seven and a half million viewers. And here's a little bit about it. A Soviet submarine in 1983 armed to the teeth with nuclear missiles finds a block of ice containing something which has been frozen for 5,000 years. Luckily, the doctor and Clara arrive on the scene because that something turns out to be dun, 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 an ice warrior. All right. So, Ashley, you have a special affinity for ice warriors, which is why we invited you to come along and chat with this one about us. So why don't you kick us off? 
what did you think of this episode, uh, both when it first aired and, uh, you know, upon revisiting it? Yeah, so when it first aired, I, I watched it with blinders on as I watch most things that I like. Um, and it was, uh, I like, I loved it. I love this episode. You got to see the ice warriors. It was kind of a new take on it. Um, yeah. it, it, kind of the history with the ice warriors is Stephen Moffat, who is the producer at this point had openly said like, I'll never bring the ice warriors back. They're too campy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I think the story goes that, uh, Mark Gaddis was like, no, no, come on, let me write a story. Let me, let me do this or something akin to that. Uh, he talked Stephen Moffat into doing it. And they said, if you do it a little differently, <clears throat> Here's the thing uh, on watching this again. I've not watched this in a few years. This is one of my favorite episodes from this era. Uh, yeah. First, because uh, it has Ice Warriors in it. Uh, but second, I think it's a pretty good story. However, as I was watching it last night, uh, for the first time in a while, this could have been a Dalek. So yeah. this this is a Dalek story where the, the creature at the end has a conscience. Um, so... <laughs> already so, we're starting <laughs> so this story this story isn't an ice warrior story so, uh, um, oh, you're, you're so wrong i, I you know continue, i miss, continue. I miss <laughs> this i miss this um uh but but it's good it's still very good uh and it's still it the does whole, it does deal with the whole central premise of the story could not be with a dalek but continue it, it could be it has been it's the exact same story as dalek the, you're missing um, the point of the story, but please go on. But, but okay. Okay. Regardless, I, I do I miss this. I do. I miss this. I miss this. <clears throat> but no, seriously, it, it, it delves into a lot of the, the uh, concepts that uh, the Ice Warriors did, honor, and kind of that. Uh, that yeah, because dogs are known for their honor. Yeah, keep going. <clears throat> right. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> Dalek with a conscience. It's a Dalek. With a conscience. Yeah, all, um, all those famous dogs with consciences. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, that's what I'm saying. That's the difference. <laughs> but and that's Dal- the whole point, Ashley, is that Ice Warriors have that sense of honor and a conscience that you could make the story with. That's why right. it's an but Ice Warriors story. But you don't get it until the last five minutes, and you got the exact same thing happen in the story Dalek by Rob uh, Shearman. Um, the exact same thing happened. I don't know. I... I think it's a fantastic story. I think it's a great Ice Warriors story, and it was great to see the Ice Warriors again. I, I'd like to see a way, discovering an Ice Warrior on Earth in some other way than in a block of ice. Um, <laughs> uh, this is this is a, a pretty common trope uh, for uh, for them. Is is kind of like the the sleeping Ice Warrior. You find them, man. They're all over the place, right? They're they're all they over ain't the called place. Sand Warriors, Ashley. <clears throat> no, no, I. I understand that, wow. but they're all over the place. I mean, that's how we—that's how you always find them on Earth. Is you're just laying around in ice all over the place. Um, the next story, Empress of Mars, talks about finding an ice warrior in in uh, in in ice, uh, or or in it's in a spaceship or something. It's in suspended animation. They bring him to Mars and they do the whole thing. So I don't know. So okay, I, I've taken too long. I'm sorry. Josh is angry at me already. Just like the old days. <laughs> Yeah, that took what thirty <laughs> seconds. Yeah, hey, it it's been a couple of years since we've done this. I got a lot of backlog built oh, up. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, Josh, tell us your take on this one. So it's interesting that Ashley is here because it's not only is it an Ice Warrior story, but it's a Mark Gata story. So this is like round twenty of Ashley and I debating about Mark Gata. So. Uh, that's always fun. 
Um, and I'm in the, the unusual situation to where I'm actually going to have to defend Mark Gatiss in the story because I actually really like the story. It's probably the best story that uh, Gatiss does for yeah. uh, New Who. Uh, absolutely. So, no, I, I like it. I think it makes a good case for the Ice Warriors. I think it uses the whole concept behind the Ice Warriors uh, phenomenally. Um, I mean... <sighs> The whole idea that you feel like you got to like take them out of their armor to use them. I mean, but at least it's a new idea. And we're not just remaking, you know, the same my story or story over and over again, even though like this hits all of the same beats. I mean, it, it does what Gatiss does best is it takes the core concepts of what has really worked in the past and he regurgitates them sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a not so good way. And this one, I think yeah. it really makes it work. Yeah. I agree with you. I love this episode. Um, I, I had really mixed feelings about this whole season and particularly uh, series seven B because they went the, the whole route of, we have to make everything a blockbuster. And so everything was styled sort of Hollywood. And right. This one kind of does that. It's sort of a pastiche of, you know, hunt for red October and Das Boot and all those kind of classic films but it does it in a very different way in a very doctor who way and and i think the ice warriors are dealt with really well i think they're expanded in a really interesting way we get more understanding of their culture you know just when little things like the like general Sheldak or whatever his name is having a daughter which that's not something we'd ever heard from other ice warriors before but the thing that i really dig about it is um is clara because i feel like this whole half of a season spends so much time on that whole impossible girl nonsense. And this one just ignores that completely. And she's just a companion and she's yeah. a companion that has interesting things to do in the story. And I, for all those reasons, I love standalone episodes more than the ones that have to feed themselves into a story arc. And this one is the only real standalone story of this half of a season. It's it's really interesting going back to watch this, um, you know, and seeing the early days of Clara, you know, based on how we know where she ends up yeah. and to see her acting like such a traditional companion yeah. um, with a few twists, but it's very much a traditional companion role is, is really almost weird to, to go back and watch after to see, to see her not do the doctor role that, they right. shoved on her so many times, you know, in her last seasons. I, I think, uh, if I recall correctly, this is actually one of the first things she filmed, like even before, um, you know, the Snowman episode and hmm. the um, her introductory story. So I, I wonder if that has a part to play as why there's no real impossible girl aspects played into it because it was like one of her first things. And, and that's probably a good move because it's quite the traditional type of story to, mm -hmm. to put them in, to get somebody in to uh, get their feet wet. And I, but I think she does really well. And, it, and again, it's really cool to kind of see her like she gets so thrown off during the course of this experience. Like it's the first time, like she, she has to go in there and confront him alone. And then she's, you know, she's, you know, gets, you know, trapped in there with the, um, ice warrior. And like, it really shakes her to the core, which is something we would not see Clara yeah. two years later do. You make a really good point about her and about that 
uh, story arc that we get later from her where she is the surrogate doctor. It's almost like this could be the first step toward what we see later on because she is put in that room to face the ice warrior. She's fed, uh, you know, the dialogue that she has to say to him from the doctor, but she's the one that has to confront him when, when it's all done. And she says, Hey, how did I do? And he's like, Oh, you did a great job. It's almost like a validation of her. It, like it encourages her to become more of that. I find it interesting to see her react like a normal person though. Like she oh, reacts absolutely. like a normal person in the situation would react. And I mean, you could, like, if you wanted to go back and fill it in, you could see like, well, maybe she, you know, twist the acting more like the doctor of his host. She doesn't have to feel that way again. It's an interesting yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, no, but I agree. She is just a regular companion in this story. You know, in this era, you get all that impossible girl and, you know, all those labels that every companion had to have. And in this one, she's just a companion. And I think it's so refreshing and, and really, really enjoyable. She's almost the Zoe uh, of this story with the Matt Smith character who, you know, had that sort of, well, first of all, this is basically a modern Troughton story. It's mm -hmm. base under siege. It's ice warriors. It's the Hads makes a reappearance. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll, all stuff you would expect for a Mark yeah. script. That's just absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll say though, on that, that point, there is something that I noticed. There's, there are these little bits of like Dr. Who DNA, and maybe this is a dark, uh, Mark Gatiss thing, right? There's little, there was one moment where I actually had to go, where is that? Like, what is, where is, what's Matt Smith pulling from there? And it was mm. at the very beginning where the, they, they're all the water's coming in and then it clears out. And they're like, uh, and the doctor talks to them as military people, right? And it it is so much like pulling on like a Sylvester uh, Sylvester McCoy uh, era kind of like even his voice and and the way he's interacting. I don't I don't think it was intentional, but it, it kind of pulls from that. It may have been the dialogue. It was just one little moment. It was just this like like mm -hmm. three second uh, thing. Mm -hmm. And then there's another time where you're like this. Uh, you mentioned Troughton, but also you get you have. This also kind of feels like a, a Pertwee era thing because of all the military and yeah. uh, those kinds of things. So there's a lot of like DNA of past doctors. And I think, Josh, you're right. It's Mark. That's what Mark Gaddis does best. Uh, and maybe he overdoes it. But in this one, mm. it works really well. You know, Ashley, that's a really good point that you're making, because it's it, it reminds me of the first season of the new series with Eccleston. I had a really hard time connecting with Eccleston's doctor. And it wasn't until that moment in aliens in London where no, no, no. The, the second part, world war three, where he uh, is surrounded by the, the soldiers with guns pointing at him. And then he just starts barking orders and they fall in line behind him. And I thought that's my doctor. And it took me that long to kind of find that, that connection that that doctor who dna like you're talking about well i mean and i also think we have to stop and consider like this is happening in the anniversary season too yeah so let's let's, let's not let that go like obviously right. like you're in the 50th anniversary year like this is the kind of thing that you kind of want in an anniversary season a lot of does have a lot of callbacks but i mean it also is celebratory of that 50 years and i mean like again you aren't doing Doctor Who for 50 years without going back and making callbacks, especially in the anniversary year. And it's, you know, it kind of shows like, well, this is the kind of stuff we have to pull from, which, I, and I think really works in this story. 
and it fits into the season perfectly. Again, mm-hmm. I, I kind of agree with you about season seven B, but this is clearly one of the standouts of that story, uh, that season. And, and I also don't think it's one of the more popular ones. Like you know, most fans gravitate toward the the River Song episodes and the you know all that stuff. And I just don't think that this one gets as much love as it does. But it's my favorite. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you also have to consider like we're a bunch of three classic series who fans who've been fans for, you know, 30 years. Exactly. So, of course, it's going to speak to us. Sure. Of course. Of course. Well, we'll say, I mean, you've got you do have a lot of callbacks uh, to the Ice Warriors. The, that story. I mean, it's very much mm. not only a pastiche of of uh, Red October. It's a pastiche of of that episode mm-hmm. that story very much so and and i think and I, like seeing- I also think it's 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 also you know every time i watch the story i feel like this is mark Gatiss thinking i'm gonna do where's the deep right that's exactly what i was thinking that's exactly the 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 thing that came to my mind this past time when i watched it again and in fact this afternoon i was just thinking exactly that yeah i mean like yeah. it's it very has very much the same feeling to it yeah totally I mean, somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> I I think uh, also there's uh, there's that scene right um, when you mentioned it when Clara goes in there, but seeing that Ice Warrior who is well before I say that, like the another thing I want to talk about Matt Smith is when he hears the name of the Ice Warrior when he says yeah. who he is. This idea, of course, this isn't a character we know uh, even as longtime fans, but it's someone that. It's like this like secret lore in Doctor Who, right? So it's it's the doctor knowing something that we don't. We hear the name. Like if it had been Islier or Azixir or something, which mm-hmm. would be too old, right? I mean, they're not born yet. But this was a new character, but the doctor the lore of Mar- the like the of the of this universe, like the doctor knows it. And like he is fearful. And you don't see the doctor fearful very often. Um yeah. but that is something that even even in um, when the third doctor meets him in, in the Paladin stories, like he's like, ding, he ding, knows. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, no, if it, it was only a matter of time. 18 minutes <laughs> I know, for I know. the first mention of Peladon. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, okay. <clears throat> oh, I was God, just, just saying, uh, but there was fear then too, right? Like a little bit of fear. So that callback, like they're this race mm-hmm. to be feared in a way that like you don't even get really from the Santarans or or anything else like hmm. it's written in where like he hears that name and he's like he will call down armies upon us uh or at least he think he thinks he can well, that's one of the things that i love about doctor who is when they do it is it makes it feel like a lived in expansive universe mm. i mean obviously there's all sorts of stuff that we wouldn't know that the doctor does and when he was able to put like this is somebody worth the attention and worth like you know, speaking his name in a hushed tone, like it kind of brings it, you know, home to us. Like this is, should be a big deal, even though we've never heard of them before. And I, I, I do like that. I always like when they do that. It, um, it, it just speaks to the grander universe of Doctor Who, which I always enjoy. And, and I think that that even shows in, and, and I'm sure the plan is to get to this, but uh, David Warner is in this story and his character is in there and he's listening to all the, pop music of the time and all that. And, and, and I think that also goes with the fact that it's a lived in world. And there are people on that ship. that's like, what is he even talking about? And they're, they're Russians. And he's listening to this, uh, this uh, English music. uh, And, 
and so it's the same thing, right? Like we're here seeing this on like this intergalactic level. Uh, and then we see it on this this really small uh, global level as well. I, I don't think that was intentional, but it does it does play off, and you see that the world is lived in, and so is the universe. Uh, yeah, you um, take me into two things I want to talk about. I don't know which one I want to talk about first, but um, so you bring up David Warner, and I fucking mm-hmm. love David Warner. So yeah. we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll start there. I, I think the guest cast in this is phenomenal, and particular David Warner that. The job that Warner does with his material that could be quite silly um, from anybody else is just, he's so good. Yeah. And you just stop thinking like, why isn't David Warner in Doctor Who more? <laughs> right. And it's interesting if you have a name like David Warner, it's, a, it's an odd role to give him, you know, rather than a captain or something like that. But I love the fact that they sort of like, you know, play off your expectations and give him this side role. And he makes so much of it. Yes. Because I mean, like he, if he were like the submarine captain, he would have been fine. He would have been, I mean, he's David yeah. Warner. But yeah. this one is just so much better because it's David Warner this role of his. Right. I don't know that, you know, another actor would have elevated it the way that he did. Yes. Um, and his pairing with Clara just is oh, man. so good. They, they, yeah. they work so well together. Like you, you know, uh, you say what you want about where Clara ends up as a character. Like Jenna mm-hmm. Coleman is a phenomenal actress. Oh God. Um, yeah. And she is able to take material and, and run with it. Like, and her and her pairing with Capaldi is, can be phenomenal. Um, and, but her like working with, I mean, like this actually is kind of like a, almost a prototypical, like look at her relationship with a character like Capaldi with David mm-hmm. Warner, because I mean, they, they kind of, you know, I mean, obviously you have the age comparison that, you know, her and Capaldi would have, but just the way that he, Capaldi, look at me, I'm Connell Capaldi, the date <laughs> where David Warner talks to her and she responds to him. It's very much like the relationship mm. that her and Capaldi would develop later on. Yeah. Um, and it may, like, shows just how well they work together. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I, I think also David Warner, like it's one of those like could have been the doctor. And of course, in Big Finish, we did see that with the Unbound right. stories. Right. Uh, and I, I'm not I'm not sure that there was ever a time where he was actually up for the role before. Uh, but uh, in uh, we do we do get to see him as the doctor. And he has such a presence that he like you're like, oh, man, I, I don't. I don't know who's better at in this. Is it is it David Warner, or Matt Smith? Like, like, mm. like it's, he's one hundred percent David Warner. I got something <laughs> to say about Matt Smith for the story. Well, well, I I understand that, but I guess my my point is David Warner just has such a command of the screen in this, and mm-hmm. and his voice is just like you want to see. I I want to see him as the Doctor, not just a. A, a side character he he does great in his performances for big finish and he's great here and sure but i love to see him as a doctor absolutely he would have uh, not held the park on tv <laughs> he's also really great as a cardassian but that's a different yes. show <laughs> <laughs> also as a as a similar professor in um secret of the ooze oh my god Ashley. oh my god yeah, he's Ashley. in there too yeah i mean he's He's like the main, the main, uh, the main character. Ninja Turtles there. Two: Secret of the Ooze. Oh, there you go. All right, Joshy, you had another point that you were going to make. It was about the fact that this is a story set in the Cold War. It's a base under siege story. 
in the actual like trappings of the Cold War, which I think is like the perfect place to place a base under siege story because you already have like the paranoia and the threat of like utter annihilation can happen at any time. And it amazed me that we've, I mean, I obviously, I guess we had to have some time pass since the eighties occurred in order to do the story. But it, the fact that it took them so long um, into the seventh season of doing the new series to do a story set in this time frame like this um, kind of surprising because it's such a great time frame to place Dr. Who's story, you, you know, you, and the fact that, they do show up and we don't actually like we, we've got like one bad guy kind of russian even he is not like the, you know like super mm -hmm. bad guy but the fact that these are all russians though it's always odd that you know they hear a bunch of russians played by british actors but you know that's just doctor who for you, what are you gonna <laughs> there do? you go <laughs> uh and and they're not like all villainous yeah. Um, I, I think that is, it's a, it's a great setting for the story. And I think they really pulled it off. Uh, it makes you believable in the era and, it, you know, does something new and interesting with a Russian submarine. Yes. Agreed. And talking about base under siege, this is, you know, we talked about this back when we were, uh, doing under the lake, this is that sort of twist on the base under siege where instead of you being, besieged from an outside force you are trapped inside with the thing that's the the, the villain or the enemy mm -hmm. or whatever and and you know when you're in a submarine you're a hundred percent trapped and it's interesting that we have this one and the kapali one and both of them are underwater both of them are isolated both of them are like there's no way you can get out to get away from this thing no disagreement from me. I mean, like, I, I can't disagree with you. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, like, works really well. And I, I guess, actually, I'm, I'm interested to hear Ashley's opinion on the unmasked Ice Warrior. That's exactly where I was going to go next. As, as our Ice Warrior resident expert. Right. So this is something, obviously, we've never seen before. Um, I think it was mentioned in a book, um, God Engine. Uh, what they look like in uh, what they look like without their armor. Um, but it's it's we've never seen it on screen before. I mean, I think it was all right. I, what what I would like to I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. We've only seen kind of, you know, like the 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 Batman outline of their their mouths uh, up to this. Point. <laughs> right. Um, for, for me, I, I mean, this is going to be incredibly nerdy, uh, but. Uh, I always just prefer the uh, the the different style helmet of like the Ice Lords, right? Uh, uh, and and so I was I was always like, man, I'd love to see that. But this is like that classic Ice Warrior look. It they it was a great um, like rein, uh, reinvention of the Ice Warriors. Um, I think the look was fine. It they were it was much smaller because uh, when you see it kind of climbing around, it's not this bulky thing which. We're led to believe that maybe they're like at least human size in in past stories, but this was this weird little um, lizard like character, which is they're 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 kind of reptilian, right? Uh, the thing I would like to comment on is the, the uh, some of the uh, the sounds for for the uh, Ice Warriors. Two things: one, I I think Nick Briggs did the voice of of this he did. Uh, of the Ice Warriors, um, <laughs> and. I think as so I've I've kind of been out of I haven't watched a lot of uh 
newer, older Doctor Who in a while. So kind of going back and like immediately I was like, okay, that's Nick Briggs. Like there is, there were, there wasn't as much nuance to this voice as even he has done to Ice Warriors in audio stories. Mm-hmm. The thing though that that I'm I, I don't like or dislike is this clicking sound that they've added, this predator sound that they've added to the the Ice Warrior. Uh, every time you when you're about to come into it, you hear that. that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. As opposed to uh, as opposed to the 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 um, very nasally hissing that you've got before. Now I'm not saying that was a good voice either. And I actually liked the voice they got for it, but they added this clicking on top of it. That just, it was reminiscent of the predator. I mean, that's, it's a very similar kind of sound. Yeah. To the point that the first time I watched this, uh, there were some friends of mine who were watching this, uh, not with me, but they were like messaging me through who were not Dr. Who fans. And they're like, what? So is this just the predator? Um, because, because, and that was the the quote, this was uh, back when it first aired. Um, it was so similar, uh, to that kind of thing. So that is kind of jarring as, as an old school fan and yeah. you know, specifically a fan of the ice warriors. It's a big change, but it's, I mean, honestly, like I said, it doesn't, I don't like or dislike it. It's just a, an observation. That's mm-hmm. it's an interesting choice to go from that nasally, like, grasping almost unable to breathing sound uh that they've had in past episodes to to a much more like a deeper voice with this clicking over the top of it um Hmm. but i think that goes back to to moffat's concept of uh of this them being like this cheesy the the representation of like the cheesiness of doctor who from that era that he didn't he wanted to avoid so he needed to make them more horrifying as opposed to funny Mm -hmm. perhaps or or campy maybe is a better word yeah i mean obviously they're they're trying to eliminate the campiness of the these characters and it goes to the the same thing when uh capaldi had said hey we should do the original cybermen the the you know the mondas cyberman and moffat was like but they're terrible. They're they're They would not work. They're cheesy. They are silly. And, and Capaldi was like, yes, but if, if they could be done well, they could be terrifying. And th- that's exactly the same scenario that we have here where you're trying to modernize something for a, a different audience and, and do it in a way that makes them believable and makes them realistic and makes them scary. And I think that it worked in this, in this situation. Yeah, and I think adding to that the atmosphere that you have of the of the yeah. really um, uh, claustrophobic uh, environment, it does make it work. Uh, and and so I, I definitely don't disagree with that. It's just an issue of of that is a that was the biggest change. While some uh, like for instance the um, uh, Salorians, they had a major makeover, right? When you saw the yeah. Salorians, right? They had a major makeover. They they did. You wouldn't even know they were the same creatures if you look at them the 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 ice warriors you know it's still an ice warrior it still looks like an ice warrior just modernized they've just added a few little things modernized the costume made it a little shinier yeah uh, and then they changed the voice a little bit but ultimately i think it's it still plays well yeah yeah i think i'm in the same boat i don't know if i like it i don't think that i dislike it either I mean, it's an obvious thing to do. What does an ice warrior look like without his armor? I mean, obviously, we 
had ice warriors for years and years and years now i've never seen one so if you want to do something new with it what does it look like outside his armor uh, i you know i don't when i first watched it i was like oh man they're just like making them like alien ripoffs and because to me like ice warriors were always like bulls in china shops right they're big and large and you know imposing and this you know turns them into a you know skulking sleeking you know alien type of thing uh by alien i mean like you know the movie alien like xenomorph type of thing but when i rewatched it like i, I the, like the hulkiness is still there because i mean the the armor plays a big part in it and the armor it does its own separate thing and you know they don't really show the ice wear out of its armor so I, again i i don't think that i hated it either it, and it is an interesting way to go with it i do find it interesting that when they bring them back in the capaldi era that they absolutely do not even think about showing them outside their armor again so i wonder right. if it's like feedback they got from fans or what they wanted to do i, I don't know but i mean like it, it works here well enough so i'm not really gonna complain about it um, mostly because it, it let them do an Ice Warrior story again, which I appreciate. And I'm going to bring it back to that initial point that we were talking about. So we're on the subject of Ice Warriors to where I, I think this is an Ice Warrior story. And I don't think the story will work anywhere near as well if it didn't involve the Ice Warrior as far as like what we know is how Ice Warriors are and how they act. Like, sure, whatever. Yes, you could make some surface comparisons to Dalek. I will admit that you got a lone mm -hmm. alien going around killing people. And then, you know, you have a non ending resolution, but here, like, I, I think it actually really works because the whole conceit is you've got to be able to appeal to this ice warriors nature and what it actually thinks and believes. And, the doctor has a debate with it as far as like, how do we stop this, you know, cycle from continuing? It's, 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 and it's, you know, again, works well as an allegory for the cold war. Like you, you can't give in to that idea of mutual assured destruction because nobody wins. And I, I think that you could only really have the story with an ice warrior with the way that ice warriors, you know, act and think and their sense of honor and, and their military mind thinking, I, I think it's a perfect example of what the ice warriors stand for. I don't think you could exchange it for another alien. And I, and I, I, I know I said that at the beginning and I don't disagree with you. I, my point was that up until a point, it could have been a, a Dalek story, even to the point where it leaves the armor. And we've seen that in stories before. And the doctor's like, Oh, they're even worse out of their armor. Like that, you know, there's nothing to contain them. Uh, that kind of like the, I think the thing that gets me is, and one of the reasons I kind of thought that is when the, when the ice warrior gets out of his armor, it's a machine. You see it open. It's not like a suit of armor. It's like, it's in, it's, it's in there, right? It feels like a, like a traveling machine, less than a suit of armor. So some of, uh, some of that is that, but it, my, my point stands is it's a Dalek story, except the creature has a conscience at the end of it. And you can appeal to that nature. Um, but it's not I, a dog story, but go on. It, well, it's it, similar. It, I'm, it, I'm it, saying it, no, it has okay. surface similarities to one Dalek story. You keep coming back to that. And it's like that Dalek story is an outlier of Dalek stories. So let's, just uh, okay. I, that I understand that. Okay. We'll, we'll set that aside. 
But I will say this. I've and maybe this is this is it. Maybe this is because I've not watched the old ones in a while. But I I see Ice Warriors as as great warriors, honorable warriors. They're not gonna they're not going to stick a sword in your back mostly uh, unless they're dishonorable, which we we've seen that. I do not think of Ice Warriors as efficient killing machines, which is the way it is perceived. Per uh, it is demonstrated in this story as an efficient killing machine, which is what in the in the Do Doctor Who universe is what the Daleks are. I, I see where you're coming from on that, but let's also remember the circumstances of what we get in this story. Like he is honorable. The, the whole thing is set off because he gets stabbed in the back. And so obviously the people that he's surrounded by are not honorable warriors and don't deserve to have a traditional death or combat with. So he goes to like, well, I guess I'm going, my race is dead. I've got I'm surrounded by all these dishonorable dogs. I'm just going to kill them. And that is an ice warrior sensibility mm -hmm. to the T. Mm. And you should know that. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know that. My, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't like the way the and and this, I think, okay. So this is the difference between classic Who and modern Who, right? Uh, it's that that's that's all it is. It's, it's I'm not lo I'm looking at this through the lens of a of a classic Who fan, right? I'm not probably looking at it properly through the lens of a of a of watching you Who. Um, so yes, I will, I will 100% give you that it is, it is set up that way. It, it absolutely is. I just, as I just do not think of ice warriors as efficient killing machines. Um, and, uh, it's not that they aren't. And I mean, and we know that there are humans who are efficient killing machines. Uh, but those, those typically you don't think of them as like high ranking military officers. You think of them as like Navy SEALs, right? The spec ops, uh, the spe special ops that are going through and, this guy is not set up as a special ops character. This is set up as a guy who is a warrior, not necessarily an efficient killing machine. Someone yeah, but I mean, like, he had, obviously he had to get up in those ranks somehow. And the thing, like, the a whole episode is designed around the taking away everything an ice warrior would typically do. Sonic Weapon can't do that because then you're just automatically dead because of the situation that you're in. You're in a submarine. Can't use Sonic Weapons. So the big suit of armor, well, you're in a small, compact space. The big suit of armor is not going to really work for you here. So what does he have to do? He's got to leave the armor and do what he can to kill these guys. He can't do it his traditional way. If he were anywhere else, I don't think it would have ended up like this. But this is where he was, so here's that, what he that's, did. That's a fair point, and it, and it is set up. I will say that there is nothing that I'm saying that isn't – or there's nothing that you're saying that isn't set up. Like, the story takes you there. So, 100%, I am nitpicking because that's what I do. <laughs> like, that's that's what that's the way my brain works. Um, so yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's just one of those things like, it's just, it's, it does make sense when you, when you frame it like that, it, it does. He is, he is desperate. He doesn't care anymore. He's just going to do everything he can, not only to kill them, but to take out the rest of the, of the planet as well. Right. Because uh, in his mm -hmm. eyes, like they, every single one on this planet are like the, what he's had experience with people who are going to stab him in the back. So yep. obviously they should just go to, to take a step back. Um, there's a lot of kind of, there's a lot of pop culture references in this story too, uh, or a few, uh, musical references specifically. So, mm -hmm. uh, do you have, do you have any thoughts on the way, uh, the, the that's used? 
um, specifically hunger, hungry like a wolf is, is mentioned. Uh, and it, it's really just a set, it's a set dressing really to let you know, kind of when what's happening, what's going on. But there's a few other references as well. I think it's an interesting choice for a character to sing to himself, to calm his nerves, you know, like it's a, sexually but it's a predatory song he's hungry like the wolf which you know i don't know it's just a weird choice and it doesn't seem like it would be something other than its own familiarity to the character that it would calm you you know so i, I don't know i don't have any i don't think it means too much more other than that but no, I, I mean obviously i think it's just a way to say hey this is a story set in the 1980s so yes. here's some songs from the 1980s that you might recognize well, and it's also about which ones we can get the rights to, sure. which ones we can get the rights to affordably. And first of all, I'm surprised that that's a Duran Duran song. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, I think it, it could have been any other two songs in, in, you know, that they could have gotten. It has to be recognizable. You have to I'm, know I'm, what year it's from. I'm just going to say it. If we had a better writer, I'm sure there would have been a point to the songs and somebody would have chosen songs in particular to bring home a thematic point. But we've got Mark Gatiss. So here well, we are. And he may have. And maybe they couldn't get the rights to use them. Uh, maybe so, so. You know. Maybe he's saying that the Ice Warrior is hungry like I... a wolf. I could be. But I, I think Mark Gatiss probably just likes Duran Duran and that's what went in. That's probably he it. likes to call back the things he likes. <laughs> I'd like to think he was riding. He's like, I need a song. Oh, wait, what's on the radio right now? He just turned <laughs> right. like, oh, okay, Duran Duran, hope you're like the wolf. <laughs> Let me turn on the 80s channel on Sirius XM. <laughs> and that just happened to be the one. <laughs> I, I did bring up Matt Smith, and I think I think by this point in time. Um, and obviously, I think probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that this is one of his first stories that he recorded with Jenna. So he's still kind of feeling you yeah. know, that out. But um, I, I, I kind of feel like at the, by this point of time, the second half of the season, like I think he's ready to go. Um, yeah, I, I think he's a he's a brilliant actor, but I, I don't think out of an episode that has just filled uh, with phenomenal actors. I mean, we didn't get enough to even talk about Liam Cunningham. And I think is mm. great as yeah. the captain. Yeah. He's phenomenal. But I think Matt Smith is at the bottom tier of the actors in the story, unfortunately. And again, not to mm. say he's doing a bad job. I just, I, I think he's, he's kind of showing the wear and tear of having to have done Dr. Who for three years straight by this point. In time. Interesting. Because I, I thought it was a perfectly serviceable performance. I don't think there's anything bad about it. No, and, and again, I'm not saying he's bad. He's serviceable. Yeah, yeah. He's he, he's just kind of there. Um, uh, I mean, like, he, he, he has, you know, some sparks. He, you can start mm -hmm. to see, like, a little bit with, with uh, Jenna Coleman. But, I mean, it's still early days, so they're not exactly, you know, firing all cylinders as of yet. But um, he just, he, he, I mean, he has a serviceable script. It's not an excellent script. I mean, it's a Mark Gatiss script, so it's serviceable. It's not excellent. And where somebody like Peter Capaldi is always going to be able to take something serviceable and elevate it to a phenomenal performance, sometimes when you get a serviceable script, 
you get a serviceable performance from a good actor. And I think that's what we got out of Matt Smith in this story. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I, I would actually, I would actually counter and say that this is, I, I, I Matt Smith is not one of my favorite uh, of the new, uh, of the new who era. Uh, and it's not really his fault. It's just, there are parts of the, about the era that I don't like. Yeah. Um, as I was, as I was rewatching this uh, again for the first time in a long time, I was actually impressed by Matt Smith quite a bit. And uh, I, I, I liked him. I liked this performance a lot more than I recall liking other ones. Like I said, I think he kind of, he really calls out the DNA of past doctors. And, and, and again, maybe that's, maybe that's in the script, but uh, because that is kind of a Mark Gettys thing, but there's little, little like moments of like the doctor uh, in there. Uh, not, not the doctors in Matt Smith's doctor or David Tennant's doctor or who's ever doctor. But like the doctor that goes beyond a yeah. single actor, and I thought it calls out great. I I, I actually thought the performance was like don't good. don't get me wrong. I think Matt Smith is great. I absolutely like he was the first of the new who doctors that I really really loved. Yeah. I just think like he does some phenomenal performances in his first two seasons, and I and I just think that he 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 just he looks tired. He feels a little bit tired to me in this story and i mean that, that happens to all doctors by the end of points you know you just you, you do it for so long and it's such a demanding role and a demanding job that i don't think he's giving it his 110 percent, which he could have given like he's kind of like riding on the fumes of the performances he's done in the past in this story and again and that's not bad i'll take this 100 over any david Tennant performance trust me so <laughs> i love that but I, I, you know you compare it to what he was doing a year earlier I, I just he just is not as good if that makes sense see but so you're saying same... it's like season 18 tom baker yeah, yeah right i mean like that i mean honestly and and honestly he's 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 been working with you know karen gillen and arthur darwell for so long and obviously you build up a rapport and the way that you act and that gets you through a lot of stories and now he's got to break in somebody new and I, and I think that happens to lots of actors that especially in a long-running show when you all of a sudden have a new uh, co-star and you don't know how to really play off of them and bring the best material like when you're filming those first couple of stories until you really know each other like you're never going to get the best performance as you could because of that and that's just where we're at with the story that's interesting. I saw it very differently in season six, particularly in the beginning of season seven. He 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 got more, a lot more flamboyant than he was in series five. And I think that this toned that down a lot and he was much more subtle. But I, I don't think it was any less than. So <laughs> let's give this one a rating out of 10. Ashley, this is what we've been doing. And I'm going to let you go first since you are the guest this week. How would you rate this one on a scale of one to 10? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I, I mean, considering uh, the era it's in and considering it's an Ice Warrior story, uh, I mean, I 7.5. Okay. <laughs> I really like the story, so I'm going to go above and beyond what you might expect. I'm giving it an eight. Dude, I'm shocked. I know. But, you know... I am what I am. What can I say? I, 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 despite 
saying that Smith was not at his best. I think everything else was firing on all cylinders. It's the best Gata story that we get, bar none. So, and it 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 warms this old fanboy's heart to see so much classic stuff in new Doctor Who. So, yeah, I'm giving it the eight. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I was planning to go in eight also. I think it's a really solid episode. I think that it's standalone nature, separating it from the, the, the arc of that half a season works in its favor. I think the setting is great. I think it ratchets up the tension considerably. I think the ice warriors are dealt with really well. The guest cast is phenomenal. Jenna Coleman is just amazing in this. So a hundred percent going an eight on this one. Yep, I agree with everything you said, and that's also why I also gave it the eight. Awesome. I'll, I'll bump mine to an eight. I just didn't. Oh, know now I wouldn't bump it to an eight, do you? Ooh, look at well, that. Well, I said 7.5, right? I, <laughs> yeah. It's because I didn't know if you were going to laugh at me for making it an eight. That's where I was. Well, hey, stick by your guns, Ashley. Right. I, I will. <laughs> All right. So with that, Josh, guess what time it is? Oh, is it time for Josh's spin-off media corner? It, it certainly is. Where are we all going right. this week? So I know what you guys are all thinking. It's an Ice Warriors story. He's going to give us an Ice Warriors uh, recommendation. Oh, no. Josh is not that simple. No, 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 no. How often am I going to be able to do a David Warner connection? Yeah, baby. So we're going David Warner. And not just David Warner. We're going to take one step forward. It's not just David Warner connection. It's a Mark Gatiss connection because we are recommending Bernie Summerfield, The Unbound Universe, which you actually do not need to know anything about Benny. I mean, obviously, if you know what's good for you, you will know all about Benny. <laughs> but this is not connected to anything else. It is the alternate universe doctor played by David Warner showing up picking up Benny and taking her through adventures in this alternate universe that he is from featuring the very villainous Sam Keysgart as the master in their oh so clever way of anagramming Mark Gates's name and his performance as the master in it. So um, highly recommended uh, Dave Warner as the doctor is phenomenal works great with uh, Lisa Bowerman as Bernie Summerfield and got some really good stories by some really good uh, authors in this box set. So check it out. And then once you listen to that one, you're going to want to go listen to the four that follow it. Excellent. So can I jump in and uh, make a recommendation too, since this used to be our thing? Go right ahead. There you go. Okay. Uh, I, I will, just for the uh, sake of it, recommend something related to uh, the Ice Warriors. And that is the book I've already mentioned, God Engine, which is a BBC book. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's from the BBC 8th Doctor series. Um, no, seventh. No, it's a 7th Doctor. It's it a, new, a virgin new adventure. Yeah. Um, uh, and it has the Ice Warriors. It explores the uh, the uh, the uh, their culture on Mars. Uh, it you see uh, like uh, ice warrior pilgrims uh, looking for it. It also connects to the um, um, the Osirens. Uh, so it does. It's a lot. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on uh, in Doctor Who canon. It's a lot of fun. That is written by Craig Hinton, who writes fantastic books and did great. Wrote fantastic books. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. But uh, and uh, does great work. Um, 
with Ice Warriors. He was, um, uh, I'd say, uh, before before or, or before he uh, he he passed. Now that I am the expert on Ice Warriors, uh, <laughs> that he would have been before. Well, Ashley, I got to say, as much as I won money on calling your Peloton reference, I'm so sad that I have lost money that I have not heard you say the word nightshade tonight. So Ooh. it's a shame for me. <laughs> I was trying to real quick thing. I just forgot the title. I was going like, to throw something in there. I've been out of the game too long, but I did not mention Nymons, So um, well. That's right. Well, we, we got to save those. We'll have to do that one. <laughs> All right, so we will be back next week talking about a Jodie Whittaker episode. We're going to be talking about the finale of her first season. And I can't pronounce the name in the title, so we're just going to say it's the season finale from her first season. So You're really going to let me watch this again. I'm sorry, buddy, but we have to. Oh, my God. I know. It's torture, but we got to do it. All right, so see you next week. Everybody take care. And enjoy your TARDIS travels. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Z at gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time, and until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one.